if you would, take your Bibles, please, and turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. John, chapter 10, and we'll begin reading in just a moment in verse 1. Two years ago, it was over two years ago, in April 2013, I preached a message called How to Recognize God's Voice. And I shared in that particular message five principles from this passage of Scripture on how to hear or recognize when God is speaking to you. I find that in encouraging or counseling with you, some of you, and with my own young adult children, uh, with different ones over the years, I have found that when I talk about hearing God, that that is a puzzle for some. What does that mean? What happens when you hear God? What is that like? How can you recognize God's voice? And so what I want to do over the next five Sunday nights, and they won't be all together, but over the next five times that we meet on Sunday night, um, I want to talk about those five principles one at a time and go deeper with each one. Now, if you don't remember that message, you can find it online. Um, uh, talk to Lisa. She can help you locate it. It was in April 2013. If you want to hear that message, how to recognize God's voice. But tonight, we're just simply going deeper, going deeper with what does it mean to recognize his voice. In John chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, that's what we're going to cover tonight. But we're going to look at uh, much of this chapter in future Sunday nights. But let's just start with this one, John chapter 10 and verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up by some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Can I ask you for just a moment to bow your heads and to close your eyes? And I'm going to ask that we be simply quiet and still before the Lord for just a moment. And would you, just in your own heart, would you ask the Lord to speak to you tonight? Father, we do welcome you here. And we want to tune our ears to your voice. Teach us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Typically, there are two extremes when it comes to hearing God's voice. There's one extreme that I call an anti-supernatural position. The anti-supernatural position sounds something like this. God has said all that he's ever going to say to you through the written word of God. That when you have a decision to make, when you're experiencing a problem or when you need to hear from God, the only way you're going to get any kind of direction or any kind of guidance from the Lord 
is by reading his word. Pray and ask him for wisdom, and then make the decision that seems best to you, trusting that he will guide you as you make that decision. Now, that sounds reasonable. And, and underlying that, though, there's an anti-supernatural bias that God does not speak directly to you or to me. And that anyone who says that God has spoken to them is suspect. And yet, what does God's Word say? And how does God's Word describe the relationship of God to His people? If it's not that over and over and over again, God speaks to His people, they comprehend that He is speaking, and then they obey Him, and they go forward. The anti-supernatural position, obviously, is not the one that your pastor holds. Now, there's another position, and I'm going to call it the the hyper-supernatural position, where God is always speaking all the time about everything, and everything has some significance. Everything is a sign. Everything has something to do with, with God. And in its worst forms, it looks crazy what people do. In fact, it is crazy. Um, my favorite story on this, and I've told it here before, but in 1993, down in South Louisiana where we lived, I got a phone call one time at the church office because the uh, police department needed, and the local shelter needed some blankets and clothing ASAP, as soon as possible, because they had 19 people that needed clothes. And what had happened is this... Um, doesn't matter that he was Pentecostal, but it was a Pentecostal preacher in South Texas, received a word from the Lord that that they were to leave the place where they were, that this world was evil and was about to end. And so they got in a couple of vehicles and they left their town and they drove away. Somewhere around Houston and Baytown, Texas, somewhere in that vicinity, the Lord spoke to the preacher again and determined that clothes were evil and that they were closer to the Garden of Eden than what God originally had in mind if they removed all their clothing. So 19 men, women, and children uh, took their clothes off and got in one car because the other car had broken down. 19 naked people in one car. Now, what, what concerns me, and I have never quite figured this out, this, this happened. I mean, it was mentioned on the evening news and everything nationally. What, what, what really is curious to me is that 19 naked people in one car were able to drive from Baytown, Houston area of Texas, all the way to the Louisiana line, and nobody reported them. Now, now, that's remarkable. But somehow, the Louisiana State Highway Patrol picked up on it and gave chase just over the Louisiana line. The 19 people in the single vehicle exited near Vinton, Louisiana, and turned north and accelerated. Now, that area of Louisiana is just as flat as any section of the Delta you'd ever want to know. It's just above the Marshall areas. It's just flat as it can be. I remember when we moved to Lake Charles, Louisiana, some friends of ours had moved there from another part of the country where they had hills, and the wife complained because there were no hills in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and he had moved down ahead of her, and so he said, sure, there's a hill. He drove her over to the 12th Street railroad tracks and parked on the tracks and said, here's a hill. Well, there was one of those raised tracks in Vinton, Louisiana, and these 19 naked people, one car, hit that going about 50 miles an hour. The car went airborne, they lost control, ran off the side of the road, which was flat, and the car came to a dead stop out in the middle of a field 
where the state highway patrol was shocked to see 19 naked people getting out of the car. And that's when I got a phone call. We need clothes, we need blankets, we need help. Well, God told them that. That's what he said. And um, I want you to know that your pastor will never ask you to do anything like that. Amen. I got one. All right. Amen. The truth is that God spoke in the Old Testament and the New Testament in a variety of ways. He spoke through angels. He spoke through dreams. He spoke through symbolic actions like and, uh, the casting of lots. He spoke, spoke through a burning bush. He spoke through a fleece. He spoke through prayer. He spoke through fire. He spoke through writing on the wall. He spoke through visions. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through preaching. He spoke through miraculous signs. And he spoke through a donkey. I like the way Henry Blackaby summarizes the four main ways that God speaks. If you've never taken the course, study course, or read the book, Experiencing God, I highly recommend it. He says that you can summarize all those things that I just read in four categories. That God speaks through, of course, his written word, the Bible, and that should be your primary guide for information, everything God wants you to know about him on this side of heaven. He's given you in his word, the Bible. He speaks through the church or through Christian friends, counselors that you surround yourself with that know the Lord, and often he will provide counsel and direction through them. He speaks through circumstances as you're praying about something and events unfold in a certain way that you recognize that God is giving you an opportunity, giving you direction through the lineup of your circumstances. You know, we talk about open doors and we talk about closed doors, um, open windows or closed windows or whatever your, your analogy is to describe God speaking through your circumstances. But the last one is the one I want to give attention to tonight because it's perhaps the one that gives people the most difficulty, and that's when God speaks to you and me through prayer, where he speaks to you and me directly to our mind and to our heart and makes himself understood, makes himself known through prayer. And this probably gives people the most difficulty, and so I want to talk about the marks or the ways that you can recognize God's voice. And tonight we're going to look at just one. And the first mark of the voice of God is the word initiative. Initiative. God's voice is marked by initiative. In that passage that we read, he's using the, uh, the picture that was very familiar to the people that day of a shepherd taking care of a flock of sheep. Now, in that day and time, they didn't typically have sheep pens the way that we would have a corral or something today. So they, they typically took care of the sheep in an open pasture, open field. And the difference between shepherds in the Middle East and shepherds in other parts of the world is that shepherds in the Middle East lead their sheep. They have a relationship with the sheep. They are so familiar with the sheep. They, they have raised the, the sheep from birth. That, that the sheep respond to that shepherd and nobody else. And at night, what they would do is they would take piles of branches and briars and so forth, and they would, they would set up uh, essentially three or four walls and to, to make a rough enclosure, and then the shepherd sometimes would sheep, uh, sleep in the opening to that enclosure. And sometimes, to be more efficient, several shepherds would come together and put all their sheep together, mix them up, into the same enclosure. 
They would all be in there together. And what would happen is that when the night was over and the shepherd's ready to take the sheep to pasture, is he would come to that opening and he would call the sheep. He would call to them. And that's what's being described here when um, he talks about who enters, whoever enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so he takes the initiative. You know, if the shepherd didn't make the first move, they would still be there. They would not have moved. They would not have gone anywhere. They would have still been in the same place where they were. And it's absolutely vital that if you and I are going to go forward in the will of God, that if I'm going to walk in God's plan for my life, that there comes a moment where I recognize that God is calling me and I respond to that call where he is taking the initiative and said, Don, here's what I want you to do. And I respond to that call and I begin to move forward. And so he makes the first move. And the sheep are in the position of waiting on him to call, waiting on him to come. So the primary task of communication lies with God and not with you and I. Now, how does that make you feel? You don't need to answer that aloud. But if that gives you a sense of God's love for you, it should. If that gives you a sense of God's purpose for your life, that he has one, and that when he speaks to you, he wants to lead you into that path, into that purpose. If, if you gather that by this word picture, I believe you're getting exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate. He is the shepherd. And we are the sheep. And if I hear God, it's not because I forced him, twisted his, his arm, um, stood on my head, did some unusual gymnastics mentally or emotionally to get him to speak to me. But if God speaks to me, it's because God chose to speak to me. And he took the initiative. Well, let's break that down now a little bit further. That's pretty much what I shared uh, two years ago. But I want to break this down a little bit further. The, the primary task of communication lies with God. On your handout, you're going to see several bullet statements where I'm trying to take this a little bit deeper. Here's the first thing I'd like to call attention to. The prophet Elijah described God speaking as a still, small voice. Now, I want you to get that in your mind, that here's a prophet who heard God and who gave the word of God to people. But when he heard the voice of God, he described it as a still, small voice. I'm reading right now from, uh, from 1, Samuel, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And here's what happened. Elisha uh, had this incredible encounter with a group of false prophets on top of Mount Carmel. And it was a contest to see who was real, which God was real. And... You know the story. They prepared a sacrifice. They doused it with water um, when it came his turn. You know, the other prophets were hollering and screaming uh, for their God to send a ball of fire or something to burn up their sacrifice. It just sat there rotting in the sunshine. But when Elisha put his sacrifice out there, they doused it with water. They filled up the trenches with it. It was absolutely soaked. 
And then he prays a simple prayer, and God answers by fire. After that, he is persecuted. He is threatened by Ahab's wife, Jezebel. And he begins to run. It's one of the more curious moments in the life of a man of God that he runs from this woman after such an incredible spiritual victory. I mean, if I saw God drop a ball of fire on top of a sacrifice, no woman would scare me. <laughs> but, but Jezebel scared him, and the Bible says he began to run. And, and in his running, he became exhausted and God took Elisha through this recuperative process of restoring him to spiritual vitality. And as part of that process, he was helping Elisha regain a sense of his own voice that he was speaking to him. And so it says in verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Now that tells me several things right away. That often when I think of God speaking, uh, I may think in terms of something spectacular. You know, I used to sit in preaching class and I would listen to guys tell stories about how God called them to ministry. Well, I was out hunting squirrels one night, or raccoons one night, and, uh, and I got lost in the woods and I got scared and I told God if he would get me out of the woods, I would preach. <laughs> and, and they always had these, these uh, fireball type experiences, you know, where there's an earthquake, there's a wind, there's something dramatic that took place. And yet, here's a prophet who has seen the ball of fire, who's seen the wind that could that could break rocks, that's a pretty powerful wind, who, who saw an earthquake, who saw fire, and God was not speaking in any of those things. And God spoke through the still, small voice. It was something easily missed. If you're focused on God's voice being something big, well, if he st speaks in a still, small voice, if you've got a lot of noise in your head, a lot of noise in your life, it's something that can be missed. It's like a voice. He says it's a still small voice. And so even if it's not audible, I expect his voice to be intelligible. Something I can understand. Something I can recognize. Something I can comprehend. For even Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you're driving down the road and you say, well, Don, I'm not sure that's ever happened to me. Well, think about it. If you're a believer tonight, you've trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. Have you ever had a situation where you're driving down the road, maybe having your time alone with God in, in your house or, or whatever the situation may be, and you weren't particularly thinking about doing ministry, but all of a sudden, someone comes to mind who is having um, a medical procedure, someone's coming to mind who has a need in their life or need in their home and God just brings them to mind and and you begin to pray for them because they come to mind or you make a decision to call them or you make a decision to do something for them because it came to mind now did you recognize that at the time as being from God sometimes we do sometimes we don't you may have thought it was just a good idea 
And like me, you can recognize a good idea when you hear one. Or you may, did, you may actually have realized this was God. And, and when you've had that realization that, that God brought someone to mind and put someone on your heart or whatever language you want to use, what was that like? Was that a big, loud sound? Or was that a still, small voice? Was it intelligible? Could you understand it? Yes. Was it from God? Yes. And recognizing God's voice is cultivated over time. The more you begin to recognize that flow of thinking and those sounds that pass through your mind, those thoughts that pass through your mind, the better you become at it. So that brings me to this statement, spirit-sourced communication that comes from the Holy Spirit. Spirit-sourced communication can often come as a thought or a flow of thoughts in your mind. It can come as a thought or a flow of thoughts in your mind. And if you're not paying attention, you can miss it. You can truly miss when God is speaking like that. You say, Don, I'm not sure I believe that's true. Well, sure you do. Let me give you another statement. For example, let's take the opposite end of the spectrum. Demonically sourced thoughts that come from demons, demonically sourced thoughts, have to be recognized and exposed. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, have you ever been not particularly in a, in a mood to do something terrible or wrong? You may actually have been uh, getting ready to come to church uh, this evening. Uh, you may have been uh, getting ready to prepare a Sunday school lesson if you're a Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe as a believer, you're getting ready to do something for God. Uh, just one of those moments in your life, and all of a sudden, a thought comes to mind. It is, it is a sinful thought. It's something you know it's wrong. And you can't believe you're even thinking that thought. I can't believe that came to my mind. And, and if you dwell on it, you find yourself actually being tempted by this, this thought or thoughts that are coming to your mind. And you're going, where did that come from? Well, you know where it came from, don't you? You know that when you get bombarded with, with thoughts that you know are wrong, thoughts that are evil, thoughts about temptation, and you, and you weren't particularly headed that direction before it happened, and it just came to your mind and it came like a flood, you know where that came from. It was a demonically sore stream of thought. And the Bible speaks about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, and it's referenced in your notes, but let me read it to you. Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, flesh and blood, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What's a stronghold? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so here's a body of thinking that may be in someone's mind, someone else's mind you're talking to, or even in your own mind. He says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Here comes a thought. It's not from the Lord. It comes into your mind. What do you do with it? you got to put it down. you got to take it captive. you got to say, that's not from the Lord, and I'm not embracing that, and uh, that's from the enemy, and I'm going to submit my thoughts to the Lord. And the Lord says that's wrong. The Lord says that's sinful. And Paul's describing this flow of thought that can go through your mind. 
And if that flow of thought can come from an enemy, you know that same flow of thought also comes from the Lord. And so we have demonically sourced thoughts. They have to be recognized and exposed. So that brings me to this statement. You must become alert before you become aware of the Lord's voice. You've got to become alert. And so if I'm, a, if I'm the kind of person that, that doesn't like being still, I'm going to have a problem with this. If I'm not the kind of person that knows how to focus my mind and pay attention to what's going through my head, I'm going to have trouble with this. And, and so I've got to learn to be alert to what I'm thinking. Sometimes, you know, I don't think you and I pay a whole lot of attention to what we're thinking. But that has to change if I'm going to hear the Lord in this direct and, and uh, personal way that he sometimes speaks to us, speaks to us as his children. As he speaks and you become alert to his voice, let me just say this, God's voice will never violate his written word. So understand that up front. God's voice will never violate his written word. Let me give you an example of that. I'm reading from James 3, verses 14 to 17. He says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. What's he saying is this, that when God is giving you wisdom, when God is giving you direction, when God speaks to you, it's going to be consistent with the names and the character of God. It's going to be consistent with who he is. God's never going to lead you to do something contrary to who he is as God. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is forgiving. And then the last thing I want to mention is this. God speaks to the one who is seeking him continually. God speaks to the one who is seeking him continually. This is what I mean by being alert. I'm being alert before I can be aware so alert means I'm paying attention, and uh, when thoughts come to my mind, does this line up with God's Word? Does this line up with who God is? And so when it doesn't, I can discard that pretty quickly. I can say, well, that's not the Lord. Um, but then God speaks to the one who is seeking Him continually. <sighs> Meditating on Scripture is a great way to hear Him. Spending time in His Word, reading His Word, knowing what His Word says. In Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8, David writes, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. How does that happen? I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. So David says, I'm going to bless the Lord who gives me counsel. He says, even at night, even at night, there's this thing that happens where the God of the universe can speak to my heart. And I can, I can literally wake up with a sense that God has spoken to me over the night. That's what David describes. And, and he says, how is that possible? He says, I will set the Lord before me always. I will set the Lord before me always. 
The picture that unfolds is someone who has said, I'm going to put all of my focus and my mind and my life on who God is and what God is saying. I'm going to be absolutely like a bondservant or a slave waiting on his master. I'm going to be alert to him. I'm going to set him before me. What does he think about this? Where is he in this circumstance? Where is he in this decision? I'm setting the Lord before me. And when you go to bed that way and you wake up that way and you walk through your day that way, you're going to be much more alert to those moments when that flow of thought comes through your mind and you begin to recognize that God is speaking. In Psalm 62, verse 5, David writes, My soul waits silently for God alone. Wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. And so there's tremendous value to being alone with Him, to, to waiting on Him, to thinking about Him as you go to sleep, giving Him your first thoughts when you get up in the morning. There's value in waiting before the Lord. And as you, as you concentrate, as you focus your attention on Him, and you're reading the Scripture, you're, you're creating a moment, an atmosphere, where you're most likely to recognize that God is speaking. Habakkuk was a prophet who had deep questions about God. If you read Habakkuk chapter 1, he is trying to understand what God is telling him. That he understands, and it doesn't tell us how, but he understands that God is going to use the people called the Chaldeans and others to destroy the nation. And what he can't understand and what he's asking the Lord is, Lord, you are good, you are righteous, you are worthy. How can you, a God who is good, use a people who are so evil to judge your own people? How can, how can that be? And so he asks the question in chapter 1, and then when he comes to chapter 2, verse 1, listen to what he says. I've asked the question. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So what is he saying? He said, I've asked the question, now I'm going to stand and I'm going to wait on God to answer me. I'm going to wait on God to give me direction, to correct me. And so in both examples of David and in this example of Habakkuk, you have a picture of someone who is waiting on the Lord, who's made the Lord his focus, who's set the Lord before him, who's standing on the ramparts, who's waiting for the answer. And he's looking to God to answer him. When I first, uh, that first spring that I was here with you, I, I shared a story about, that was very personal about our family. And um, Gail has given me permission years ago to mention that when we got to a certain place in ministry um, that she experienced, uh, a period of depression in her life that was very, very dark and difficult. And we had been serving at that point in Southern California for several years, and we had helped start several churches, and we had our first two children there, and we had a one-bedroom apartment, and we had two little girls in that one-bedroom apartment, and Gail was with those babies most of the time. And the same time, uh, she had moved to this area of 15 million people in Los Angeles County, uh, leaving a place of maybe less than 2,000 people where she grew up. And it was hard for her. And we got to a place where in, 
in dealing with that, um, I, had, I had a question for the Lord. And at that point in my life, i got to be honest with you, when Gail and I prayed about the decision to go to California, uh, we were doing the best we could to recognize what God was saying and what God wanted us to do. But that was a moment in my life where we were going to pick up and leave California and move back to the south and, and I was going to take a regular job or whatever I was going to do. I just had to hear the Lord. I had to know that that was God. And I remember one night vividly where uh, I was in our kitchen. And our kitchen, our kitchen, the piano was bigger than our kitchen. And I had shut the door. Gail had already gone to sleep. The babies were already asleep. And I was, I was, I don't know how to describe it except in my heart. I was just crying out to the Lord. This was not something unusual, but, but it was a point of desperation for me. And I was saying to the Lord and making very, very clear in my mind that I was not going to move. I couldn't stay unless the Lord said stay. I couldn't leave unless the Lord said leave. I had to hear from him. And this had been going on for some time. It had been going on for several days. And I remember leaning with my back against the door and just, 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 just praying and, and eventually just sliding down the door to the floor and sitting on the floor and saying, Lord, I, I, if it takes all night, I'm going to stay here. And I don't know how long I sat there. But I just got still before him. I waited silently before the Lord, just like David described. And the quietness and the stillness of that set of circumstances and that moment of my life, the thoughts formed in my mind, almost like words, Don, take your wife and go. Now at that moment, I didn't have a dime to pay for a move a cross-country move. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I made some assumptions, which I learned later was a bad thing to do. I said, well, I just assumed that God didn't want me in a church right now, that we were just going to focus on our family and rebuilding um, and restoring our relationship and the things that were going on at that moment. And we came back within two weeks before we were scheduled to move the Lord provided everything that we needed for the move. We came back to Memphis, Tennessee, and we stored our things. And uh, we stayed like gypsies with different friends with these two little kids and, and uh, stayed with our family some and stayed with friends. And I couldn't find a job. And I had all these amazing interviews with connections with friends in California, and nobody would hire me. And I said, Lord, you said to go. And we had more conversations. He said, but I didn't tell you what we were going to do. <laughs> and then one day I got a telephone call from my Bible professor in college, uh, Dr. James Travis, one of my mentors in ministry. And he called me up and said, Don, I heard you were back in the South. He said, do you remember Dumas Baptist Church in North Mississippi? And I said, yeah, I do. I went there some as a college student. He said, well, they don't have a pastor. He said, I'd like to give them your name. 
I said, Dr. Travis, I got I to gotta pray about that. And he said, I just want to give them your name, son. I said, okay. And within about two months, I became their pastor. That was the place I talked about this morning at the country store and, oh, God, what have I done? Kind of praying that I did. And it was just from the Lord. It was just right. It was just what he had in mind. And those four years were a period of healing and learning and growth for me. And I continued to draw from the mentors that I had. And uh, the Lord healed Gail's heart. And, um, and he made us a team in ministry for the first time. Uh, all that came from that night on the floor of that kitchen. Say, oh God, I need to hear from you. And the Lord saying, go. It's really important when he speaks that you just stop with what he says. Don't try to fill in the blanks. Don't try to fill in, answer, answer a bunch of other questions with one thing he says to you. Just take what he says. I would encourage you to write it down in your Bible, write it down in a journal, and then, and then take it and walk by faith. Trust the Lord when he speaks. The first mark for recognizing God's voice is he takes the initiative to speak to you and me. What you and I need to understand is that the people who hear his voice when he speaks are the people that have slowed down sufficiently, who are waiting on him, who are being silent before him. They're creating the largest space to hear God's voice. There's still those times where he just, he just speaks. And you may not have expected it at all. But if there's anything you can do to help, it's what David describes. It's what Habakkuk describes. Get up on the wall. Say, I'm going to wait here, Lord. I'm going to wait here, Lord, till you speak to me. And um, but can I just mention one other thing, and then we're going to have a response time. Let me just mention one other thing, and I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We've got four other things to talk about in future Sunday nights. One of the greatest mistakes, particularly young, young people make in hearing God's voice or wanting to know the will of God, is, is we tend to want to, to know everything that God has in mind all at once. And, and very rarely in Scripture does God tell us the whole roadmap up front. In fact, when we are taught in Scripture how to relate to the Lord in this New Testament era that you and I live in, we are taught in terms of walking or keeping in step with the Spirit of God. And so when God speaks to you about His will, typically it is just like what He did with me in California that first time when I heard His voice. It was to take a step. That was it. One step. And then there'll be another step and another step. So if you're praying about what does God want you to do with your life, well, he may tell you the next step. He may not necessarily tell you the final destination, but I can tell you the final destination, and it ain't here. It's in heaven with him. But he wants to guide you each step of the way, and our God has not left you without a helper. He's given the Holy Spirit to each of us who has trusted in him. The Holy Spirit lives. He is real. He is to be for you all that Jesus would be if he were here in person. He is there to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ through you, through you as an individual. And he's going to accomplish that as he speaks to you and as he guides you one step at a time. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. You know, the starting point when we talk about recognizing God's voice, the very first time that God begins to impress something on our mind and on our hearts 
is when we need to be saved. When he is calling you to himself to put your trust in him as Lord and Savior. You see, the Bible tells us that on our own from birth, we're separated from God. We don't automatically have a relationship with him. That because of our sin that we have acted on, because of the things that we have done, we're separated from him. And we're spiritually dead. We have a part of us that's broken and unable to hear God's voice and God's direction. And so we need a new birth. We need a renewal, a spiritual renewal inside of us in order to hear God's voice. And that begins with salvation. When a person comes to Jesus Christ who died for their sins on the cross, he rose from the grave. And when we come to that Christ and we put our trust in him, the Bible tells us that he begins to change us from the inside out. We don't become perfect people overnight, but we do begin to grow And his Holy Spirit begins to change us, convict us, and grow us into the likeness of Christ. We also begin to hear his voice. He begins to guide us. He begins to direct us. So what is God saying to you tonight? Is he calling you to himself to be saved? Is he calling you to put your trust in him for salvation? Tonight I'll be here, Pastor Todd will be here. Uh, There are others here that would be glad to talk with you, pray with you, and share scripture with you about how to trust Christ and allow this revolution, the spiritual transformation to occur inside of you. And then if you're a child of God tonight, you know you're a Christian, you know you've been saved. Are you hearing God? Is he guiding your life? Is he making your decisions? Are you looking to him? Is he your expectation? Are you waiting on him to speak? Have you set him always before you, as David said? Are you at a moment in your life where, like me, you've got to hear the Lord? And you need to know what his will is at this moment. And you may need to just come in a fresh way in your heart tonight and just say, Lord, I'm sorry that it took this situation for me to come to you. It took this crisis in my life to draw me, to cry out to you. But Lord, here I am. And Lord, as long as I live, I want to keep you before me and I want to focus on you. I want to hear your voice. Lord, I need to know the next step. Is that your heart cry? When we stand and sing, you may just need to bow your head. If you need someone to pray with you, we're here. If you just want to come, Pray for yourself or someone else here at the altar. Please take advantage of this time as he leads you, as he speaks to you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you are more than capable, more than able to guide us as your children. Deliver us from the thinking that you only care about big things. Teach us to look to you to be our shepherd every moment of every day. Going before us, guiding us, speaking to us. For that person who's crying out to you right now for guidance and to hear you, I pray you would speak to them. I pray they would begin to recognize your voice in their heart. 
encouraged him with that still small voice. And we ask it in Jesus' name.